Welcome to Flat Church Lilongwe's Inspiring Sermon Podcast, where faith meets community. Join us on a transformative journey as we explore the word together. Stay tuned for messages that uplift and empower. Let's dive in. Amen, amen, hallelujah. Welcome to church today, friends and family. Let's turn right to the word of God. And we're going to Matthew chapter 5. If you can remain standing, we'll read our verses together from there. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus, we stand before you as a needy people today. We ask that you would give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to your church and that we would be ready to listen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Please uh, have your seats this morning. Thank you so much, worship team. You've led us straight into the presence of God, and especially really wonderful for us to have praise with us again today. I was saying we've missed you so much, and it's wonderful that he's home again. Well, it's only 35 degrees, so I hope you have water. I hope you have some way of staying cool because we got to go deep into the Word of God today. Amen. We're in a series here as a church that, uh, and talking about how do we embrace our lives as God's painting and, and looking at him as the artist who's creating something and we as the material submitting to that creative process. Everything in our life matters to God, every area. There is no small window that we can leave him out of because every area belongs to him. And as Christians, this is what makes us different from other people of different faiths and maybe of no faith. Because everything that we do, regardless of waking, sleeping, working, resting, going to church, being at home with our friends, with our family, it's for God's glory. And we don't take a break from that. There's no resting from being a Christian, right? There's no day off, as it were. It's, it's now who you are. It's your identity. And we, through this, we see our lives as God's masterpiece. And my subject today that I was given was talking about Christians in the culture. How do we respond to God and be Christians in the culture where we live? When we live according to God's will, we glorify him. But if we live according to our own ways, we are missing something. And God is not looking for perfect people today. Hallelujah. Amen. He's not going to find one. Except maybe David Paterka at the back. Almost, almost. But none of us have reached, right? None of us have attained to perfection. But in our faith journey as we follow Christ, as we submit ourselves to him, that's where we're trying to go. And our our passage today is Jesus moving away from the crowds and calling close the disciples and saying, let's climb the mountain together. 
let's find a place where I can speak only to you and not to everyone who would listen. So these are our words for us. For you and I who follow Christ, this message is for us. It's, and it's not just about lessons on how we should behave or how do we think, how do we act, but it's how we build our entire lives before him. The original promise given to Abraham was, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. And so the earlier part of this chapter is all about the blessing that we receive from God. And the part we want to focus on today is how we become that blessing to others and to the world around us. And we have to do that in the culture in which we live. And there are cultures within cultures within cultures, right? So you have a culture in your marriage. Your marriage functions in a family which has its own culture. You have a workplace culture, an extended family culture. We have a church culture. I can just say a word at Flood Church and people will respond, right? Or they know what it means. Let's hear it for God. Yay, God, right? That's part of our culture that we've developed here, is giving praise for these things. But cultures exist everywhere. And we have to learn how do we become God's masterpiece within those places. So these are, uh, this passage is Jesus. It's, it's formally known as the Sermon on the Mount. And as soon as I knew I had to preach on Sermon on the Mount, I was like, oh, that's such a tough one. Who, I mean, we've all heard of, like probably 100 sermons on it. And so, but today you're going to hear one you've never heard before. Right? You're all, you're, some people are doubting, but I, I'm going to bring it. I know I'm going to bring it. <laughs> so we as people who follow Christ are not only known by how we behave, but also how we influence others. So it's not only internal, but also external, right? And again, we have to do that within the cultures that we find ourselves. The first time, oh, I, I didn't even introduce myself, sorry. My name's Renata. I'm part of the teaching team here at Flood. I'm married. We have five children. And uh, we have a project at Kauma, a ministry there. But the first time that I left Canada, my home village, for more than two weeks, I went to study in Kenya for a year. I was doing the third year of my undergrad. So I'd already been in university for a couple of years and then, and then went to Kenya to do one full year of college. And there were so many things that I had to learn. And one of them that I'll share with you today is about laundry, clothes washing. And the way that I had grown up doing it, I was learning a new way how to do it in Kenya. And my very dear friend, who until this day is actually the guardian for my son, who's there in boarding school, she helped me to find someone to wash my clothes. And so I did what, I, what is normal in my culture, which is put all the clothes into the basket or a bag and give to this, this person to wash them. And she came to me after and said, we have a problem. We have a problem with the clothes that you've sent to be washed. And I was thinking, oh no, I've, have I sent the wrong thing, too many of the right thing, or like, what's the issue? And she said, there are some clothes you cannot send for washing, and other clothes it's okay to be sending. And some of you are smiling because you know where it's going, and others of you still don't know what it means, and that's okay. We're all on the journey. 
And I had to learn, there's a lesson here of how do I do something I have always done in one place, and now I'm doing it in another place. But there's another way of handling yourself. You can laugh. Come on. It's funny. So she told me uncle was very upset about this, and you have to do something. And so I did the right thing, and I've been washing clothes properly ever since. <laughs> I asked my husband, is this appropriate for me to talk about? He said it would be fine. So he was in the first service. We can just blame him. But what I want to say that's very important is you can function one way in a certain location or a certain culture, like your marriage, your home, your family, your school, your workplace, and then you go to another one and you might have similar habits or behaviors that are no longer acceptable in that place. So that's what I mean when I'm talking about how do we as Christians behave in the culture where we find ourselves. So here is Jesus saying, come up the mountain, come away from the crowd so that I can talk to you alone. And there I can, he uses two very basic and everyday items, locally available materials, salt and light. Salt and light. And you and I can sometimes pay tribute to a confusion that exists. A dichotomy that says, Christ's work on the cross is only for me and my benefit and the better of my personal situation. And it's not actually him doing it through me and out to the world. So sometimes we pray like this, we live like this, we act like this, we set goals in this way. That God is going to do greater things for me rather than within me. So we pray, bless me, rather than make me a blessing. Provide for me, rather than help me provide for someone. Change that person, rather than change me. In the first service, I pointed to my husband, Jeff, that God should change him and just leave me the way that I am. But here Jesus teaches the disciples, not just the gathering crowds, but the people who are committed to following him, how to live as those who have been blessed and now bless others. And he tells them very specifically, you are the salt of the earth. You are. And in the ancient world, they used salt as something to preserve food. We do that, we do that now as well. So they could butcher meat, they would use a portion, and anything that didn't get cooked, you then apply salt, and then you, it will be preserved, right? It's a preserving agent. The salt kills the bacteria that could gather, and it also has a preserving effect, which prevents the meat from rotting. And so Jesus is saying to the disciples then, and to you and I now, that you are the preserving agent of this world. You are the one that's going to stop things from going rotten here. You are the one that's going to save things for people so that they have something to eat later. And you're here for a reason. It's not just to exist and kind of go through the motions and, and, and be bland, but actually to add the very flavor. Let's, let's be honest. Our favorite spice is salt, right? Is salt even a spice? I don't know. But it's our favorite thing to apply on food, right? 
Come on, guys, I know it's hot. <laughs> yes. And if you're going to eat something that requires salt, you have to find what you need in order to do that. And you can't eat chips without salt, right? Imagine a chip with no salt. You might as well just leave it for someone. It's like eating a raw potato. You can't do it. Chicken without salt, unsalted popcorn, saltless kamba, no. The right amount of salt makes food delicious, but you can also apply too much and then you can't eat it, right? When we first came to Malawi, we entered into a house owned by our organization. So there had been some things there for a length of time. Furniture and even some pantry items, including white sugar. And every night, my husband would carefully prepare the tea for this, for our guard, using this white sugar. And did you know, like scientifically, salt can actually never lose its saltiness. Salt could stay for 100 years, and it still tastes the same. So night after night, Jeff is carefully making this tea for our guard using white sugar, which we found in the house. Until one day, we decided to bake with that same white sugar and found we don't use white sugar here. <laughs> it was salt. So for like three weeks, Jeff had been loading the guard's tea with salt. And he never complained. He never mentioned. He never filed a report somewhere. He was just receiving it. Oh, thank you, Buana. <laughs> Too much salt can give you a problem, right? Or if you use salt in the wrong way, you just have to throw it out. And that's what Jesus says here. If, if salt has lost its saltiness, we have to get rid of it, right? There's nothing that that guard could have done with that, you know, flask of salted tea. And so scientifically, as I mentioned, salt can never lose its saltiness. It always tastes salty, but still Jesus says to us, if you become unsalty, you have to be thrown away. Because salt loses power when you put it into something, when it becomes diluted. So let's say you have five liters of water, you put one spoon of salt, you can still taste the salt, but it's now not as powerful. Take the same spoon of water, now we put it in 20 liters of water, you can almost taste nothing because the salt has been totally diluted by that substance. And that's what, that's what Christ is saying here, is that some of you have become unsalty because things in your life have been diluted by your circumstances, by your situations, or by the choices that you've made. And you're no longer possessing that same power of preservation, that same opportunity of, of bringing flavor to the world. Our world is wasting away, isn't it? And if we lose the flavor that we're supposed to be bringing to, these, to the communities around us, to our families, to our cultures, to our friends, we're deemed as useless. And Jesus says, you might as well be trampled underfoot. So as a Christian, we don't say, we, we're not as concerned about how we have lost, being, lost our saltiness, but how do we keep it? Now, those of you under 25 probably know salty has another meaning, but that's not the one I'm going for today. UrbanDictionary.com will help you on that. 
But how do we stay salty in a biblical sense in our world today? And in a, in a place that's forever trying to dilute it, that's forever trying to make it less flavorful, that would rather rot than be preserved. We're going to get there. But next, we're talking, about, we're talking about you are the light of the world. So right after the salt, Jesus calls the disciples and says, you are the light of the world. Now, we know he, in the strictest sense, is the light of the world, but he's preparing them for a time. I'm going to be going. I'm going to be gone. And he's, he starts foreshadowing about the cross that this light of Christ is going, and now it's you, group of 12 ragtag men and boys who are the light of this world. Not a, not a glimpse of a light, not a reflection of a light, not even just a faint glimmer, but the light, the light. And as the light of the world, we can't be hidden. But he reminds us that some people are putting something over that light in order to contain it or something on top of it in order to hide it. But he's placed us in strategic locations, not for our glory, but for his let me ask you if you've heard these sort of statements. I'm blessed for success. I'm positioned for positivity. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm strategically placed. You, we've all heard them, seen them. Maybe you have a bumper sticker that's also saying something similar. But I want you to just be very careful because sometimes we can fall victim to slogans and actually expect that the blessing is coming to us, on us, for us, instead of saying, I've, been, I've received, so now I give. I've been blessed, so now I'm a blessing. He's done this in me, so now I do this for someone. So be careful, be careful, be careful with that prosperity message that's going to want to actually bring you hope, but in the end of the day, it's also concealing something that's rotting inside. Because it's a message about self-glorification, self-preservation, and how we can always get ahead. And it's the opposite of what Christ tells us and what the cross of Calvary proclaims over us. The light shines because that's what it was made for. Jesus is telling the disciples, you are the light. That's why you've been called. That's why you've been chosen. That's why you've followed me for all of these years. And at the ch as a church, as the church, sometimes... We struggle from quantities of flavorless salt. This would be someone who calls themselves a Christian but has little or nothing to distinguish them in such a way. But also, we have lights that are just being covered up. People who genuinely serve Christ but do everything possible to try to hide it or control it or keep it hidden away. So how is it going? How are you and I living as light and salt in our world? And is our, are our lives available for God as his canvas? So I want to ask us, am I a painting? Am I a painting? Am I a canvas that is allowing God to work his beauty in? On Monday, I went to Prayer Cafe and... We were separated into smaller groups, and someone asked, one of the questions was, do you believe that your life is becoming a beautiful work of art for God? And at the beginning, my group kind of answered in a nice way, 
And then we actually got into it a little bit deeper and, and expressed some of the doubts we have, some of the questions that we, we experience as, as believers in the world today. The canvas doesn't tell the artist which paint to use. And the canvas doesn't say, please, can you choose light colors instead of dark colors? Or I'd like you to use pencil instead of acrylic. Or have you thought of watercolor? Because that really kind of might be more what I like. The canvas stays there and allows the artist to do his work. Right before Jesus tells these things to the disciples, he gives them the whole list of beatitudes and he tells them you're blessed if you're like this you're blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness you're blessed if you bring peace you're blessed if you show if you show mercy you're blessed if you suffer because of doing the right thing you're blessed if you're persecuted and most of these are not favored by the ancient world and neither are they favored by our modern world either we don't look at someone who's suffering and be like wow they are blessed we can't see someone who's going through different forms of persecution and say, wow, that person has really got God's blessing on their life. But that's how he speaks to the disciples today. And it, if it's true that those things are not accepted well today, we have to find a way of still pressing through and pushing through to become blessed. I have a definition of culture here. There are many definitions, and this one is just kind of a general one, but it, one definition would read, the characteristic features of everyday existence shared by a people in a place or time. As I mentioned earlier, this is existing in countless forms. Your family, your marriage, your extended family, your workplace, where you go to school, your dorm hostel, your college classroom, so many different places. Every place has a culture. So how do we express God's painting, ourselves being formed within the cultures that we find ourselves? And I have three simple points. Number one, we trust the artist with the tools that he uses to create his art. Just if you have your Bible or it's on your phone, look at Matthew chapter 5 from verse 3. How are we doing with those items that he lays out? Because this is Jesus saying to the disciples, this is our kingdom manifest. This is the charter. This is how we're supposed to behave. Am I more humble? Am I more merciful? Do I fully realize how much I need Jesus? Am I hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Not just preferring, not just enjoying or occasionally selecting. Am I hungry for it? Am I thirsty for it? The canvas submits to the artist. The canvas says, you know what you're doing, and I'll trust you to do that. It's our first time on earth. It's our first time to be here. This is our first life, our only life before God. But did you know he's been an artist for hundreds, thousands of years? That he's been painting canvases of people's lives since time eternal. From the first breath of creation, he, he has been an artist. And so if he can do it for that long, you can trust him with yours. You can trust him with yours. And 
One of the things I really appreciated last week that Pastor Zach mentioned is art is messy. There's going to be a, a process that's going to be somewhat messy. Number two, we trust the artist with the process that he uses. Recently, our landlord has asked, can you please do some projects at the house? And if you have ever told me that you have a project at your house, I have not fully respected you until now. So I stand humbled that it is such a process. And so I've been going along trying to do, do these projects and work with the people who know what they're doing. And I have a lot of questions. I just ask questions. It's my nature. I want to understand. I like information. And I have met some of the most patient people through this process who can answer the question and just let me, help me to understand everything. And what I've realized is I have to trust the expert. I have never built a wardrobe in a bedroom before. I have never demolished a small portion of concrete in my life. But the experts have. So I have to trust them and I have to trust the tools and that at the end of the day, we're going to come out with a finished product that we're both happy with. But that's how we have to respond to God because so many times, so many times, we actually want to be the ones painting ourselves, up, making ourselves into the masterpiece and not being totally or fully surrendered to him. You know, a, few, a number of years ago when we uh, had these ceiling tiles made, they're canvases. No, nobody said, oh, I love that ceiling tile. Where did you get that ceiling tile? But it was like, yes, this is who we are as a church. Who made this for us? Who hung it here? There were so many questions about the art and the artistry, not about the actual canvas itself. And sometimes we try to put ourselves in the position of the artist rather than the position of the canvas. Trust the process. God has cared for billions of people. You matter to him the same amount as everyone else does, and he can do it for you as well. Lastly, we give the artist all the credit for the completed work. Again, we, we don't look at these and say, I love that ceiling tile. Pastor, where did you get these tiles? Because I need one like that. Let your light so shine before others that when they see your good deeds, they will glorify your Father in heaven. So as our light goes out, people see God himself. And in our faith journey, the temptation is to take that credit for ourselves, that I'm the one who's beautiful, that I'm the one who's done this to myself, so now look at me. But we have to live in a way that we're always pointing other people to God, pointing other people to Jesus. You know, Kelvin, I'm just going to use you as an example. I can remember like maybe five or six years ago, we started praying for someone named Kelvin in our growth group because he'd had an accident. Bob Pondo was the one who, who shared that prayer request. And it's like from then until now, look what God has done. It's amazing. It's amazing. And if you know Calvin, you know he just points people to Jesus about how he glorifies him in everything. And that's what we need to do. And so I have two questions as I conclude. Number one, have I lost my ability to influence those around me? Have I become diluted somehow? Has my salt been poured into 5, 10, 20, 
50, 100 liters of water, and now it's unrecognizable. Number two, have I put my light away out of fear? Have I hidden this light of Christ in an effort just to remain unseen? The worship team is coming, and they're going to lead us into our final song. But someone here has become diluted, and someone here is covering their own light. And Jesus himself would say to you today, come back. Come back to the things that you used to do. Return to the ways that you used to behave that allowed you to be the preserving agent of a world that's wasting away. To, pres to be the, life that, uh, the, the light that's bringing incredible solution to the darkness that's all around us. There'll be various prayer, prayer counselors around. If you're out on the uh, outer courts, don't be shy. You can come in here. Come for prayer. Come and seek his face today. He wants to answer you. He's available. He's ready. And he's asking for you to take that step today. So would you do that? Why don't we stand together as we, as we sing, sing to our Lord. Thank you.